podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Friday show. It is always fantastic to be doing the Friday show. It means that the weekend is just round the corner. I've got John Gibbons, I've got Tessa Simakulwa, and I've got Paul Tahaney. They're all here and joining me. Uh, on the blower uh, will be Rich Hobbs and Billy Grant talking about Wolves and Brentford, uh, respectively. Uh, Tez will be talking about Manchester United and Paul will be talking about Tottenham, but they've all got the ability to talk about other football teams as well, as is John Gibbons. And we'll start off with Forest versus Sheffield United. And John, you and, me, you and me have talked about this game. It's an oddly big game for Forest this, this early on. And what I mean is that there's every chance that by the time you get to 38 games of a season... The most straightforward, the easiest one Forrest may play may well just be this one on Friday night when they come up against Sheffield United. On paper, it could just prove to be the easiest game they've got all season. And if you're Forrest and points could well be at a premium, you've got to win the easier games that you get over the course of a campaign. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because I was thinking about this before when you sent the agenda through, like that, that switch of mindset when you go up because, you know, two years ago, Sheffield United was like one of your tougher games and, and you're thinking you know oh, well, you know you might even think oh we'll take a point there a point a point's fine and, and, and we'll you know beat Barnsley or something like that next week whereas you know it's you know very quickly it changes you know the teams you especially the teams you come up with you know have gone from being the best team, teams at the top and, and you take a point and all move on to suddenly there you must win because they're now in your, in your four and five Tough, uh, easier games gone, gone, gone from your two or three toughest, and so you know Forest have obviously had a year extra than Sheffield United in the division, so a little bit more settled and you know look look a little bit better as well. But it is massive for them. But I think the Friday night element helps. The fact that it's the first home game of the season, I think, is really big for them. The fact that you know the the fans will be feeling good and and it feels like a, a decent atmosphere around Forest. You know that's that remained from the back end of last season. Whereas Sheffield United just feel a little bit sorry. Don't <laughs> you know? It just all feels a bit. You know when I'm going, I'm another look on Sheffield United Twitter and they're, they're making jokes about whether they'll beat Derby County's point record. <laughs> and you're like, it's no way to live, is it? You know, we we all should have an element. Even even the Blues should have an element of going into the season thinking, well, you never know. Whereas they're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it, Tessa. I think that, you know, Sheffield United, they do just look a little bit sad. They've been up recently. And I think that they're, I think Luton, who you get the impression Luton sort of collectively feel like we're having a real go at this. And we know that it's unlikely to come off for us, but we're having a real go at this altogether. Sheffield United, I think in part because they've been up recently, but also just little things like literally selling Sander Berge, one of your best players, to another promoted team. It's the sort, of, uh, yeah. It's the sort of thing that absolutely kills people. Yeah, and I had a little look on the Twitter of um, Sheffield United when they posted the team lineup, and usually you find fans obviously they're going to moan or have their own kind of like perception of who should be playing. And almost every single kind of post was when you're posting the real lineup. <laughs> the, it, it, it was just a hundred percent. Is this midfield real? Oh. Like this can't be real. It it was just continuous, just continuous. Like it was a preseason team. Yeah, like it was a preseason team, and and then one post was just the players' names again. So it was just like Osborne and you know Norwood and whoever else started in midfield. And it was it was almost like an indictment from the fans thinking we know we're not quality like Premier League quality, and the fact that we don't even have the players to even kind of contribute off the bench as well is just going to mean that it's going to be a long, long season for Sheffield United. And when I did look at the the, the, um, the team, 
a lot of the players they have are the same ones that came up with Chris Wilder. Um, and at that time, it was exciting. They had overlapping full centre-backs that pulled into wide areas and things like that. And I think now they've, they're probably a bit out of the depth, I'd say. There's, it is that sort of, Paul, there isn't the unknown. There isn't the unknown around them, which the what sort of was with Wilder. You know, it's, everyone forgets when COVID hits, and I've got loads of sympathy for Sheffield United. When COVID hits, Sheffield United were ninth. Um, and I think that the the loss of momentum around that the, the fans the, was a big loss the loss of the fans for the following season the general sort of loss of I think the idea that firstly there was a bit of a plan but also secondly the economic insecurity that COVID dropped on a number of clubs and I think Sheffield United were particularly vulnerable you know I've got tons of sympathy for the for the, the sort of the framework around them because I think it's actually understated how much it does them and I think it does in Sheffield United, Leicester, and I actually do think it does in Liverpool to an extent as well, um, in a way that I think it does everyone in, if you know what I mean, and literally people die, so you don't really want to sort of talk about a football club and how it gets on, but what I mean is I think those clubs in particular found it difficult to to, to sort of regather in a couple of ways. Yeah, I mean, wasn't the Leicester's um, owners in, like, airplane food, uh, their business was airplane food, yeah. and obviously in the COVID that's going like, to yeah. smash them to bits, which... Leicester haven't really recovered from. That, and I think also they probably would have, you know, Leicester end up with a lot of players going stale on their watch and the transfer market collapse and I think they probably would have moved another couple on and reinvigorated and go from there. Yeah, but Sheffield United almost feels like to me as if they didn't really want to come up. You know, it's not really been a good thing for them to come up because they haven't embraced it in any shape or form. Nope. You know, we have to have the caveat that the transfer window is not closed yet and they could do... A stupid amount of business. It's not likely, but let's let's add that in. They've got Tom Davies in today. Yeah, oh. well, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, apparently he really wanted to go there, <laughs> according to Heckenbottom, but, you know, let's, let's, let's just leave his, leave that to his word. But um, I mentioned it before, and Dai, he really impressed me when he played against yeah. Spurs, and whenever I've seen him, I thought he's playing at a, 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 low, a lower level, and the same with Sander Berg. So to get rid of the actual the two of the players who you expect could hold their own and then add to the losses of uh, McAtee and who was the other guy from Man City? Doyle. 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 Um, that's a big chunk of their main team that got them up. It's a third. It's a third of year 11. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm, I am worried for them. I would say both of the teams that are playing, they're both relying on their home crowd. Uh, I think their away form, even Forest, you know, the fact that they've been here for a season, they showed that Arsenal really... The same tactics, really, which they employed last year away from home that didn't really get them much points until it was coming to that critical position at the end. Um, so I think both of those teams are going to be relying on home results, and I think in this case, um, Forest will be too strong for them. You'd have thought that'd be the case. Last little thing on it, Tessa, for me, which is interesting, is that Forest's approach needs to be markedly different to the one that was against Arsenal away. You go to Arsenal, if you're not going Forest, you're going to set up a certain way. But realistically, Sheffield United are almost certainly going to set up similar to the way in which you set up when you go to Arsenal. And that is a real, you know, it's a real 180, I think, for a football team. A lot of the time in the Premier League, you see runs of games or you get into a certain mode. But this is the first two games. And as I'll say again, you know, it could be that Arsenal this year is the second hardest place to go. And it could be that, uh, you know, that this is the easiest home game. And it really is almost like approaching the game in two completely different ways if you're Nottingham Forest. Yeah, and I think if you kind of squint a little bit and close one eye, it's a championship match and it's a really fast-paced, intriguing tran- tran- championship match. But I think Forrest, although I did watch them against Arsenal, they were not very good. They were a bit tame and passive. I thought defensively they were actually better than what I saw last season. I think last season they were very open and it was very much, we'll get it to Gibbs White and see what happens. I think 
against Arsenal, they seemed a little bit more compact and a little bit more assured. I thought they were good second half. I thought yeah. they were just legitimately well, good. Alanga, when were, Alanga came yeah. on, yeah. things I'm, started to change, didn't they? I was going to say, if they can get Alanga, um, Awonyi and Gibbs-White and Brennan Johnson on the pitch at the same time against teams like Sheffield United, I think they will probably beat them and probably beat a lot more teams than than people will probably give them credit for. Uh, absolutely. Um, I think everyone's just saying Forest win. I am, yeah. Yeah. Uh, be amazed if not, genuinely. Uh, very, very surprised indeed if not. Uh, Fulham face Brentford, uh, and here is Billy Grant on Fulham and Brentford. Billy Grant is in the United States of America uh, looking for fellow bees, buzzing around uh, the great city of New York for last weekend. We'll talk about this weekend in a second or two, but let's talk about last weekend first, Billy. Let's catch up a little bit. It was... It was a good game. I mean, let's be let's be crystal clear. It was a good game. It was a good point. Two sides that you know both thought they're going to have something about them this season. Um, did you enjoy it? I did indeed. First of all, I want to say thanks very much. Good talking to you. Happy new season Happy to new you, season. Neil, and and to also you Liverpool fans as well. Happy new season to you. Um, it was a very happy season for you lot. At the weekend as well, and it was a I think it's a fairly happy one for us as well. Um, it was uh, to, to be honest, you ask answering your question. I did enjoy. Uh, Sunday's game. Uh, I was a little bit gutted when it came out the hat that we were playing Tottenham Hotspur, first game of the season, you know, London Derby, first game of the season, because I'd already booked my holiday. (laughs) (laughs) You know, being selfish and everything like that. So I'd already booked my holiday and I'm thinking, I'm hoping it's going to be Bournemouth or Wolverhampton Wanderers or one of those games that come up first. But unfortunately, it was uh, there's Tottenham Hotspur. So I obviously worked very hard to try and find a venue where I can actually uh, uh, watch a game. And uh, there's a venue in New York called the Red Lion, which is the New York Bees hangout. And I thought, hmm, Bredford fans in New York. Yeah, all right. Okay, I'll, I'll see how that goes. But I actually went down to the Red Lion, got down there at, was it nine o'clock in the morning? And uh, it was, it was uh, to, to coin a phrase, buzzing. It was actually really buzzing. There's 20-odd bees in the house there as well, probably even more. Had a really, really good time. They're all into it. Um, singing songs and all sorts of stuff at nine o'clock in the morning with your beers. So uh, I, I said it, it can't be it, it can't be beaten really. So uh, like I said to you, anyone who is in New York and fancies uh, not necessarily going to the Liverpool pub, but going to the Brentford pub for a bit of a laugh because they're very friendly. They go to the Red Line in Bleecker Street. But just coming back to the game, um, I, I thought it was a great game. I thought it was a great game of football. It was a great open game of football, very exciting, you know, bit of VAR action, bit of things overturning, you know, all sorts of stuff that was going on in that game. I thought it was good. Obviously for us, the nerves that we had, there was two bits of nerves that we had. First of all, missing Ivan Tony. Are we going to score any goals without Ivan Tony? I yep. think it probably goes to show you that we can score goals without Ivan Tony because we've scored a fair few goals in the four games that he hasn't played so far towards the back end of last season and this season. Um, and we've taken four points off Spurs as well without Ivan Tony, which is not a bad total as well. Um, and then the second thing is David Raya. Will we have massive problems without David Raya, who's just been sold to Arsenal? There's all sorts of stories going out there about him, you know, going for three million pounds and all that. That's absolute nonsense. As you know, at Besotted, we get the real deal because we have the inside, you know, I'm not saying ITK because I hate saying that because it sounds really rubbish, but we do, we do speak to, we, we, we do have our characters who give us their information because we're a small club. So information gets siphoned into the besotted camp. And uh, David Raya basically is going for 30 million. Um, let's just put it this way that we helped Arsenal out 
a little bit because uh, they've spent quite a lot of money as of late and they've spent a lot of money as of late and for them to spend another 30 million smack bang on on a goalkeeper probably wasn't going to help their FFP problem so we've helped them out a little bit and and has constructed a deal in such a way which will enable our goalkeeper to go to them and for us to do the deal and carry on so Flecken was in goal he didn't have a great pre-season it has to be said I mean ironically I'm in I'm in America now but I, I actually came over for the US tour um, which was about a week and a bit ago. And I was out here for a whole week, which is madness in itself as well. I went down to Atlanta, saw Breeze play Brighton down there. Then I went to Washington, saw Breeze play there. There's thousands of Brentford fans, which is they were all mad. Obviously, they're all bonkers, like you know what I'm saying. So we went to that. And Flecken, when we were out there, the, the feedback was our goalkeeper Flecken was was a little bit shaky. He made a couple of mistakes in the Fulham game, uh, which is one I didn't go to, which is up in Philadelphia. And then after it was in the Atlanta game as well, and he was a bit, uh, a little bit dodgy. And he, he was a bit better in the Aston Villa game at Washington as well. But we were a little bit nervous, thinking, mm, is this really an upgrade or an equal player? But, you know, but no. But to be fair, Flecken, actually, I thought that he did okay against Tottenham, you know, he pulled up a couple of good saves and probably a couple of goals that did score, you know, it kind of wasn't his fault. So those are the two question marks that we had in that Tottenham game. Um, but what is nice to see, and again, I'm going back to the US tour because it gave us a lot of good indicators, the US tour, as to what we're going to do. There's a, there's a few people to say is that it's interesting, but because, without Ivan Tony, not saying we don't, don't want him, but we play a different style of football, yeah. which is actually probably, if anything, a little bit more interesting on the eye. You know, we actually play the ball out. We, 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 we play this deep, low block that Thomas Flank loves, and then we hit people on the break really quickly. And, and, and it's really actually quite entertaining football. So we're saying that, you know, it's nice that we've got the different options to play different styles of football. Yeah, it was interesting couple of players that we got to see a little bit of. Uh, Kevin Sharder again uh, gets himself off the bench. Aaron Hickey started, and I think we talked during the summer that you felt it was going to be a big year for for Aaron Hickey. Damsgaard's got a lot of the game in the end coming on for uh, Matthias Jensen early in the second half. These are the younger footballers that Brentford have and they want to make a go of, and these are the footballers who may well feature, I think, against Fulham. Um, I, th- I mean, I think so. Um, Thomas Frank obviously really likes Hickey. He really rates Hickey. He was playing Hickey last season when we all had a bit of question marks around him. We we're like, mm, I'm not quite sure about Hickey. Uh, but he, he he stuck with him. And that's the good thing about Brentford. They just kind of stick through players with thick and thin and really, really, you know, re- really, really back them. So all of a sudden, you know, we're seeing the back end of that backing. And yeah, so it, Hickey... Um, Hickey, Hickey's looking good. Um, Damsgaard is interesting when you also, if you ask me to do a team selection, you know, between ourselves, you know, we're like, is Damsgaard going to play? Is Yenelk going to play? I always put Damsgaard in, but Yenelk comes in because we've got one of those scenarios where in our three midfielders, we don't quite know who that third midfielder is going to be. But obviously with Jensen going off injured, you know, Damsgaard's coming in. And I think he could be quite interesting because he looked, again, good on the summer tour in, in bits and starts. And so, um, you know, I, I think he could be a good player, you know, coming in again. It's Fulham, but I think we'll. It's interesting because we normally play over three five two, okay, which we played against Spurs. We normally play three five two against the, and I've got to say, inverted commas, kind of better teams, you know, but uh, 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 managers who are very, very good, sort of kind of you know tactically as well. So we normally go for that, try and you know soak up the pressure, hit people on the break, or we go four three three. So against and, and and again away from home. So I mean, don't ask me <laughs> which which way we're going to go against Fulham. Are we going to go four three three? Are we going to go three five two? Because we're away from home. Again, we might go for the same three five two with Nathan Collins sitting there in the defence uh, as well, and 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 then just kind of hitting people on the break. But you know, for me, I'm I, I'm actually quite 
Fulham, and you know, obviously there are big rivals. There are their last season. I think they showed to us that they were a good side. I mean, they played you first game of the season. Um, they kind of, I think, they shocked you a little bit because you didn't yeah. get the win against them. Uh, and then they went on and they beat us with a late late goal. To be fair, they didn't deserve to win uh, against us. A couple of games after that, I think it was. But I'm not being bitter about. It. I'm just making a point that the fact that you know we we. We came back from 2-0 down and we looked very good, but they hit us, Mitrovic hit us with a late goal. I think that him being out their side might actually rock them a little bit because they're still trying to work out how can they how can they change everything they're doing without Mitro. So I think that's actually quite a good thing for us. Um, but we're not taking anything for granted against Fulham. Um, they're a very different team to, to when we last played them in the Championship <laughs> before and where we used to beat them all the time. I mean, literally, we go to Fulham, we take 7,000 fans. I mean, <laughs> literally, we just take the pee every time down there. But um, I think it's going to be very, very different against Fulham this time. I mean, I'm actually, I've, I've actually made my way down from New York, and I'm in Florida and Tallahassee at the moment now, and uh, looking for looking for a little hole to watch the game at the weekend. It's going to be a, I, I can see what you American fans are like now. You literally have to find places to watch football matches at night, nine and eight o'clock. I mean, I had to, I had to get up at six o'clock in the morning, five o'clock to watch the, the USA game the other day against not the USA, the England game. The yeah, semi-final against uh, Australia, and a few weeks ago, I had to wake up at four o'clock in the morning to watch Jamaica play as well in the World Cup. So I, I know, I know your, and I, I could feel your pain, you know, international fans, what you have to go through. My last question about his selection is: there's talk that me is possibly to be fit for the game. That I think he'd like me to be fit for the game. I'm intrigued by what you think he's going to do when he does go to a back four because he spent all that money on Collins. Pinnock looks really, really important. Ayer, I think, is a good player whenever I catch Brentford and I see him play. And obviously, there's now Ben Me, but he is 35. What do you think he does at the heart of that defence for, for this one and in general as the season wears on? Uh, we were saying that we think that Me is going to be back in because he's such an instrumental, such a good player for Brentford. Christopher Ayer, he was, it's really weird because we, when we signed him, he was 13 million, which I think was a record signing. We're like, wow, we've just spent 30 million pounds on the player. And he looked really good. He's got injured. When he's come back, he hasn't quite looked the player that he used to be before. So it's almost like we're thinking, oh, we've just spent £30 million on a sub centre-back. So I think is going to slip onto the bench. I think Ben Mee will come on and I think Collins will... Uh, I think if you know, I think if we don't go three, I think Collins will actually be on the bench as well because I think... Yeah, Finnick and me, honestly, that them two have just been unbelievable. But we don't know what kind of injury he's got. Maybe, again, uh, I know Thomas Frank has the, the thinking that if uh, uh, players come in and they do well in positions, they keep their position until something needs to change. So maybe that's a scenario there where, you know, uh, actually, you know, Collins may stay in if they decided to go um, four at the back, um, you know, instead of, you know, five at the back. So, you know, we shall see how that one goes. But Ben Mee is honestly last season, he, 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 was, he was incredible. I mean, it'd be interesting to see at some stage, I'm sure him and Nathan Collins are going to play together. And obviously they play together at Burnley. Yeah. So uh, we, we actually chatted to Ben Mee because again, it was great because Brentford put on all these events in, in the US or the USA tour. And uh, they basically had, they had, a, they had a, basically a drink up, had a drink up in all the three cities, Philly, um, Atlanta, and, uh, and, and where's the other place? And, and, and Washington. <laughs> it's, it's an open bar. So, I mean, you can imagine the carnage that went down there, but also they bought the, um, they bought the players down and the players came down and they had a good, just, just mixing and just chatting with all the fans and all that. I mean, the Americans could believe it. They're just like, I've never seen this before. Like the CEO was down there, the chairman and players and all sorts of characters, loads of people from the pub just in the bar, just drinking with all the fans. So we had a good chat with Ben Mee. 
And I was just talking to him about last season. He was so happy to be there. You know, he's a green, green me. I don't know if you know that. He's properly environmental. He's got his yeah. like, he's got his electric car and he really, really pushes forward environmental things. So we were just talking about the environment itself and him rather than football. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is what you do when you go to a football fan drink. What's he talking about about? Well, actually, I think you'll find it was green politics. It was, That's right. It, it was actually. <laughs> it was great. It was it was bagging it, I was saying, which is all good. So yeah. We like Ben Mee. <laughs> we like this ben is Mee. all good. Yeah, we like that's right. We like, we like Brentford. Uh, they've got themselves <laughs> a game against Fulham this weekend, away of Fulham, uh, 3 o'clock kickoff. Yeah. Keep your eye on it. I, I think it's going to be a bit telling. I think Brentford are better than Fulham. I think they're a fair bit better than Fulham. I think they win the game. Great to speak to Billy from Basota. To, uh, do check out everything that they do over the course of the season. Loads of fantastic work. Um, I sent you all a little package, uh, although I'm not worried that I've never attached it because that's one of my favourite tricks to do uh, on this. Bournemouth's game against West Ham, um, interesting, Tezza, you know, they have over 60% possession, they put in more pressures than West Ham, despite having over 60% possession, they put get more pressure regains than West Ham, uh, again, despite the possession, but it's a low number of quality chances, it looks to me like a, a football team still getting used to what the manager wants, and also it's just running up against a certain type of side who are used to teams dominating the ball against them in West Ham, pressing them high in West Ham, you know, but that happens when they play Liverpool, that happens when they play Manchester City, when they play Bournemouth, it is obviously a different kettle of fish. But what I would say is that in a game like this one, Liverpool, I think on, on Saturday 3pm, will know they're being worked. Yeah, and I think with the new manager, obviously he he was in the Spanish second division, got promoted and then was around ninth place, wasn't he? And then, yeah, Iriola, his name is, he's known for being one of these modern day coaches with, like I think at uh, Valladolid, when he was there, he had his fullbacks inverting and, you know, the the trend of having a box midfield and pressing high, etc. And I think Bournemouth, they've actually signed good players. They've got, they kept everyone... Last two windows, I'd say, not just last window, this window, last two windows. Last well. two windows, yeah. And they've, they've got a lot of players who I could see potentially, maybe not as much being sold for as much as like the Brighton players, but they have a few players who, if they have the exposure that they probably will get for playing for a club like Bournemouth, they will be sold for 30, 40, 50 million being like Zabani, they just signed the, the left-back Kirkers. And obviously, I think they've just agreed the deal for Alex Scott as well. Obviously, he's yeah, yeah. been chased by a lot of teams. I think Bournemouth will probably surprise a lot of teams, especially away from home, because there'd be less pressure on on them to kind of pick up any points because a lot of, a lot of these kind of teams, like Bournemouth and the teams that have been in the Premier League only for a year, 18 months, are, are probably banking on the home form to win all the games. So... Going into a game against Liverpool, if they can kind of press high and you know start off um, quickly off the off the marks, then there's definitely a chance for them. There is a chance for them, John. The flip side of that is, though, I don't think the manager can, for instance, he can have a Liverpool plan, but he can't come to Liverpool and say the way I play, all the stuff we've been doing in pre-season, let's throw it out the window and put a bank of nine behind the ball and have one outlet. That's not an option for them. And I think that that could obviously work well for Liverpool. You know, you get the impression there'll be room for Liverpool to play. I, I feel there might be similarities in this from a Liverpool point of view for when, when for instance, uh, Bielsa coach Leeds team would turn up, where if you if you keep playing and keep backing yourselves, the opportunities will come. The flip side is you have to accept that maybe every now and again they will nick it, turn you around and you might look a little bit vulnerable and then everyone in the crowd's got to be calm. That is the key because I think they will go for it. And I spoke to um, a, a Bournemouth fan on, on pretty much warm up, and it's, it's worth sort of listening to when he talks about you know how he thinks Bournemouth will approach it, and he, he you know agrees very much with you, Neil, in that you know he thinks that the manager 
you know, having come in and said he wants to play this way, he isn't going to back down first away game. But he actually pointed out that that at Zaragoza, he, he, he beats Barcelona twice. Uh, I think he beats Madrid once. You know, he was he was up for going up against the the, the big teams and, and having a go at them and 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 did all right. You know, got got good results, got wins, and so you know he, he enjoyed that sort of thing. I'll have, so by the sounds of it, he'll enjoy coming up to out to Anfield. He'll he'll want to play how he wants to play and. You know, they, they, they might cause us some problems, certainly early, if we're trying to feel ourselves into a game a little bit and then suddenly you've got these lads pressing you in your face and, and, and you know, switching it quickly and, and looking to, to, to hit us in, in spaces that that we leave. And so they, they might have a bright start. Bournemouth, and like you say, Neil, it's just all about keeping our heads in, in that moment and thinking, OK, you know, it always, we always used to say it was a good thing when teams had a go at us. When we were confident at Anfield, we were like, yeah, come and have it. You see a team having a go, you're like, 400 brilliant. <laughs> Next thing, you, you know, they'd have a chance early, you'd go over the bar, everyone would be dead relaxed. They'd have another one and then we win 4-0. Yeah. And it was boss. We need to... We need to remember that if we see sort of Bournemouth, you know, having a bit of a a bit of joy, really, you know, I'd, you know, when we when we went four years without getting beat at home, whatever it was, I lost count to the number of teams who had a bright first ten. Sound lads, all the best, take it home with you. Cause we'll have the points, and it's like, you know, we, we need to, you know, they, they might even go one nil up, and and and. You know, no, no one wants to see that. You know, you don't, you don't tear it up. You know, with a plan of going sort of one nil up. But if it does happen, we just need to keep our cool because, with our attacking players and with the, with the quality that we've got on the pitch, we'll create chances as well. And I back us to take more. You know, even if there's an equal number. It is about um, finishing power from a Liverpool point of view, Paul. Uh, Cut on the other squads constitutes it. We'll come on to the signing with John in a second, but. Liverpool put four forwards on the pitch against Chelsea from the outset. I think Gakpo was trying to play in midfield, but he he, he got himself lost a little bit as the game played out. Um, the It seems to me as though the one thing you can say for absolute certain about this Liverpool side is that, as John says, they're going to create chances. The the, the players are there to do that, and they're also the, the players exist to take those chances if they are created. Definitely. A, a hilarious story about this fixture. Me and our Rio will say, who you got this week? And, they'll, and they'll, I'll say, oh, Man United. they go, ooh, that's a tough one. And then uh, I, I said about that with Bournemouth, and I said, well, how did you get on? They gave you worries last season, didn't they? He goes, yeah, yeah we beat them 9-0. <laughs> <laughs> you beat like us away from home. <laughs> I know they did, and that's what I, kept, I came back with quickly. But like, of all the games for me to go, oh, they gave you a good one, 9-0. <laughs> but yeah, I digress. Um, they didn't even have the bright start, to be honest <laughs> no, with you. I mean, no. he hasn't scored after all three minutes, hasn't he? Yeah, well, um, yeah I mean, I thought... I thought people were going a little bit over the top in terms of Liverpool. You know, uh, Jamie was Carragher was saying quite a lot, and other people that people were going through Liverpool really easy, and and then said the same about Man United as well with Wolves. And I think that we've got to be careful not to judge after one game because that could be just a consequence of rustiness and preseasonness and not getting going. I've seen it happen. We've all seen it happen for years to make such a snap judgment. And also, the other question I want to ask you guys, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the forwards, and I think that maybe you might even go even stronger and put Nunes in and maybe take out one of Jota and um, Gakpo. Um, Curtis Jones. There's all this furore about getting midfielders and stuff. Where is the trust in Curtis Jones? So I, I, I think that they should have... I think Curtis should have come on at half-time against Chelsea. I'd like to have seen him start in hindsight. And at the time, I probably wouldn't have been against it. Um, but do you think he'll ever get like, yeah, this, yeah, I think he was, a run where he says, right, 
he was getting, he got it at the end of last season, but I think he's he come he came back from preseason late. He's had a little knock. He's now out for this one at the weekend with a little knock. Oh. And they had to manage his fitness a bit last season. And he I'm, loves a badly timed little injury. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that's I was actually going to come on to that with John. Like I I feel as though with everything that we know that Bournemouth are going to do. I almost feel a bit like I want a Curtis in this one yeah. as mad as that is because he looks after the ball so well yeah. and that's that you know to, in order to get you through the first 10 of a game where they're just screaming at you and, and, and running right in your faces the idea of get it to Curtis and he gets everyone 30 yards up the pitch would have been ideal and I am mildly concerned as, as odd as it might be not because I thought he was going to bang a hat-trick or anything I am actually mildly concerned about Liverpool without Jones yeah, he's he sort of, in a funny way has ended up being a bit done by the fact that there isn't a defensive midfielder because I think they've They've, they've compensated, you know, for it a little bit with, you know, we think oh, we've got to go for size. So he picks the boss line Gakpo, I think, for the for the for the size of them, you know, as a sort of units, you know, go he, he sort of goes through it a bit that way and then plays McAllister a, a little bit deeper. But I I really enjoyed his little cameo with Chelsea and I think it was it wasn't I loved quite it. it wasn't yeah, it wasn't quite as eye catching as, as Harvey Elliott's because Harvey's coming on and running with the ball and riding tackles and stuff like that. And so everyone comes out saying like Elliot was bright and I was like, yeah he was, but wasn't it great when Curtis came on and they give the ball away? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like it's not quite as sexy, but yeah, like yeah. fucking hell we needed it yeah. at that point. And so listen yeah, it's just an observation yeah, because yeah. I just I just think I, you know, players get to that point and it's just like, at what point is this guy going to get like a yeah. real run to say, right, you know, I, yes, I, yay or nay? Or almost I like, think it could have happened this season, but like I say, he just needs to, he, he, he has so much bad luck with, like, as I say, I'd have start, start, I, I started him on Saturday and I think the manager would have started him on Saturday, but he's got this ankle knock and it doesn't look like he's having it. Sure. And I would be starting him at Newcastle if he can get off that ankle knock, you know what I mean? And Because and, uh, I think I think there's something, there's a lot to be said at the minute. I think uh, if you look at, I think Newcastle have actually done a little bit of it last season with a combination of Joel Linton and, and, and Willock. City do it with Grealish, uh, I think, to a, to, to a considerable extent. I think Chelsea, I think Arsenal actually did a little bit with, with Jacker. There's a lot to be said for a player who gets to the edge of the opposition final third and just looks after the ball mm. and basically says you can foul me, but you're not getting it off me. And in a minute, I'm just I am just going to maybe just roll it back, but it's fine because where I'm here, the ball's here, and now all my teammates are here, and you're you've had to come back. And I think that Liverpool they really missed that I thought against Chelsea, and you know. The manager makes his call uh, and all that, and also makes his call not to do a half-time change. But genuinely, the half-time whistle went, and I was like, "I'd have Curtis on here right now," uh, because I think just someone who who lets you drop anchor high up the pitch. And as I say, I think City have got it in Grealish. I think that's the main way he uses Grealish because the thing about Grealish is he just stands everyone up, and they all look at him, and he looks at them, and then before you know where you are, well, it's all right now because City are thirty yards up the pitch, and all he's done is look at them. He's not actually took anyone on. He's just looked after the ball for a, for for three seconds and gone. If you try and if you try and get this off me, I'm you're going to give me a free kick at the very least, or I'm going to beat you and be the other side. And so I'd, I'd, I'd like it. But. but talking about the the, the um, teams being ran through, do you guys also think that we have to start paying respect to more of the opposition? Because I look at the Premier League now and I look at, other than Sheffield United and Luton, every one of those games... <laughs> Well, that's it, that's it with Wolves Everyone's as well. Everyone's got at least... Yeah. You know, we used to have one or two players. You know, Matt yeah. Letizia, that'll save your ass. Yeah. Now teams have got like five or six of these yeah. players. Some of them you ain't even heard of. Those Wolves players, man. Well, that's it. Yeah. Well, that's it. Well, everyone spent all summer and I've joined in going like, oh, Wolves are in trouble because you're looking at the players leaving and stuff like that. The manager going later then. And then the team sheet comes out against the United. They're like, what's fucking what? decent? <laughs> 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 like, it's a midfield. Like, yeah. if we picked up, be like, 
like, oh, it's okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like so. Yeah. We, I think we have to like not underestimate. Like you've still got this thing about oh, if you're a big name team, then and you haven't got a big name, then your players are not better. Than, that's gone. But also, for, but that's something we just sticking up for us last weekend. Also, we were playing Chelsea. Yeah, and you know that was that like, Liverpool struggled at times. You're like, yeah. oh yeah, it's funny that. Yeah, spent a billion quid. Yeah. <laughs> I think on on that point that you made, Paul, as well. Every team in the league now has quite a decent or well-established manager or coach. I think previously in years gone by, you'd have kind of like a disparity of like the top 10 having really good coaches and managers and then the other teams will have probably one standout like a Rodgers or something. But I think if you go through, apart from maybe Rob Edwards and a few others who have just come into the league, um, companies still finding this trade and stuff like that, every other manager is like, you would say, oh, he could manage that team or this yeah, manager could manage. To be, yeah. yeah. So I think I think I think that's probably the equaliser between most teams and that's why teams are probably set up better than they probably have previously. It, it's why I'm dead interested, John. I've you you've done some interviews today, I've done some interviews about Endo. Uh, with Haru Endo and one of the things that keeps coming back I just did Eric Meyer and Eric Meyer's just like he's such a clever player he, he does what his coach wants he works it out on the pitch himself he's got tons of experience he's a clever player who grafts and I'm you know sort of I do feel as though it's, it's dead interesting because there was there was a point last night where it genuinely felt like everyone who's watched him and especially played with him really likes him and everyone who hasn't is really unsure and that's sort of shifted <laughs> a little bit over the course of the day when people have looked into it a little bit more but I mean I'm not going to lie to you Paul I was buying Hoybjerg last week and Tezza I was wondering if McTominay could become the new Phil Chisnell <laughs> because there was some, there's a lot to be said for Liverpool just getting it out the way to an extent as well and I think they may still will do another defensive midfielder they might not they might do a couple of defenders they might but it just sort of took the pressure off everyone I think that at least whether he plays I think he might be on the bench for this one against uh, against Bournemouth but whether he plays or not you know the idea that there is now a lad in the squad who who calls himself a defensive midfielder is no bad thing yeah I, I think they, they will do another one and I think they, they need to um, but it, it allows you to you know for it to be a bit more of a like a wild card and I don't necessarily mean a wild card in that you, 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 you're throwing someone in and, and they're not sure if they're, they're good enough but I mean you know, almost kind of, you know, you you say, well, he doesn't have to be brilliant now, but we think he's got a really high ceiling. Or someone like, say, a Gravenberch who who is who Bayern Munich are saying isn't a defensive midfielder, but we think can be, but he needs a bit of work, and so we're going to do it over time, and he's going to play UEFA Cup, or you know, and and sort of you know things like that, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna develop him or or him or or Taram, you know, someone who's you know, got the skills that we want without necessarily the experience in that position and we can work with it over time and make it happen. I think this buy allows you to do that because he's like, well, well he, he he can do loads of defensive mid, mid and for you for not quite as long as we need, but but certainly, you know, approaching it um, and allowing you, you time to either develop someone who... Uh, I think they would have really liked him and Lavia, um, but but obviously that's not the case. But but you know, I mean, Lavia is a slightly different example because he sort of does play there, but still needs that, still needs that, that development because of his age. But I think it, I think the, the the surety it gives you is that you can you can take a bit more of a punt on the second one. Like I think, like I don't know if Amrabat was on, but if it was ever slightly on, I think it's completely off now. I don't think that's the type of midfielder you, you're looking for now. It's that you you're allowed to. To, to have a slightly less surety to to for a, a potential you know real 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 star. Um, interestingly, I said I think Liverpool might actually look a little bit less attacking than on paper than they were at Chelsea. It wouldn't surprise me if if another pure pure uh, midfielder comes in. 
Um, it's obviously a game that Liverpool should win. It's a game that they arguably sort of semi-need to win by hook or by crook. Performances at this stage of the season, we'll talk about United in a minute or two. Performances are a bit of a funny one. I don't think you'd necessarily need to be absolutely blistering. Like, I'd almost be annoyed if Liverpool put eight in again or something like that because I feel as though, you know, you've got to share the goals around, lads, uh, game by game on this. But um, I don't think they will. I think it'll be a hard game. I actually think it'll be a really good game of football. I think it's a great day of, of televised football, don't get me wrong. But I do feel as though maybe a mini trick's being missed because this this would be a good game for broadcasters to be able to show the country what Bournemouth look like a little bit this season. Yeah, I think I think I I agree with that. I think Bournemouth as well because they're a little bit of an unknown and they've they sign players that are probably not known to the majority of football fans, especially um, players like um, Utara who's come in and obviously the the fullback that. But they also do have players who are brimming with confidence like Philip Billing and. And Solanke, who had a good partnership last last season, yeah. but also David Brooks is now back as well, and he he seemed like he was back three goals in preseason. Yeah, and he seemed like he was linking up nicely in that kind of. I think he's playing a little bit more central rather than playing from the the right hand side. And on Liverpool, I think what surprised me is Jurgen Klopp for years was very much Plan A. This is how we play. We don't really, you know, change how we play. It doesn't matter who the opposition is, and I feel like. I don't know whether it's because of the lack of having defensive midfielders or options or the front free pressing system has changed has meant that he's now thought I need to stay relevant and kind of up to date with what everyone else is doing. Because against Chelsea, I was thinking, what, what what's the plan with playing Hakbo as a kind of like an eight slash ten, as well as having a front free? Because it can go very, very wrong for you, especially against Chelsea. And if that's kind of like the plan when you don't have another midfielder available. Is it just we're going to try and do what we did in 16-17 and any team we play against, we're going to you score three, but we're going to score four. But don't you think that had Liverpool the second go goes in, there could have been it could have been nil four. Oh, you, know you what see, mean? yeah, yeah. You so see. It's, it's a fine line, isn't it, between I'm going to go for it and play that extra man and possibly get overrun or possibly overrun them. And it's maybe, maybe he was being... But the flip side is, I think, I think if it goes 2-1 Chelsea, there's a chance it goes 4-1 Chelsea. Yeah, and yeah. that's the... That's the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's and, the, and that's probably the biggest, the biggest kind of like conundrum for Klopp because especially like I was watching... The reason why I kind of mentioned that is because I feel like he's, he's changed the formation to accommodate Trent because Trent 1v1 isn't the best we know. But at the same time, I've heard you spoke speak on different various videos saying that you're not a massive fan of the system because of the personnel that you have, especially Robertson, who just bombs on and overlaps at every kind of opportunity. And I feel like Klopp's still giving the kind of um, individual expression expressionism to the players to kind of be like, when we're on the ball, we're still going to do what we normally do. And I think, especially with how Van Dijk is in, in um, losing his pace and after the injury, I think it'll catch up it'll catch up with him because Klopp, even though he rotates the certain players, he don't get rotated. Van Dijk will play every game. And I think if he keeps playing like that with Robertson, who loves to get into the final third, I think Klopp will end up kind of just reverting back to that 4-3-3 and he's going to have to trust playing actual midfielders in midfield and not kind of shoehorning four attackers in, into three positions. So it'll be it'll be interesting. I think... Um, is the endo sign is that hundred percent being? No, confirmed? we've not announced not, it. No, not announced, but his medical was today. Medical oh, okay. was today. So I think he might, he might be available, but I think it feel like it was massive to throw him in. Yeah, I still feel as though Liverpool have got. To, will end up this season with a way of playing against the top 
sides and a way of playing against the bottom sides with more variation and movements and trend coming in and it might be a bit different but we'll see it didn't happen against Chelsea but then the flip side of that is that he was you know doing a, still doing a little bit of makeshift amends in a couple of areas so we will see uh, where it ends up um, Rich Hobbs uh, on Wolves they entertain Brighton from Wolves Fancast, I've got Rich Hobbs to talk about Wolverhampton Wanderers. We're meant to look ahead to the game against Brighton, but you can't not look back to the game at Old Trafford. And Rich, it's, I mean, it's beyond hard lines, and that must be a matter of huge frustration for Wolves supporters. Um, it, I, I couldn't, I wasn't watching the game live in the end, but as soon as I saw, I was listening to it on the radio, and as soon as I saw a clip of the incident, I was just absolutely gobsmacked that a penalty hadn't been given. And it's not the first time that's happened to Wolves. It actually happened against Liverpool uh, at one point last season as well, where it does feel as though, or it must feel as though, from a Wolverhampton Wanderers point of view, you've had real hard lines with the video assistant referee. Yeah, I mean, the, the one on Monday was particularly shocking, I think, because it did go to the AR and, you know, the powers that be judged that it wasn't, I guess, a either a clear and obvious error. And, you know, there's arguably precedence, admitting bad precedence, that the same thing happened towards last season, but it was the other way around. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think it, in this day and age, that it, it is a foul, it, foul, it should be a penalty. You know, Anana, he he isn't going to, he's not attempting to win the ball. He's attempting to gain a free kick. Look, he is nowhere near the ball. He doesn't even make contact with the player who heads the ball. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's really difficult to you know, take that moment away from what was actually a very excellent Wolves performance overall. Um, and, you know, hopefully they've got the motivation from a really positive front-footed performance and also that motivation of having a against you sometimes, which I think does drive a lot of football teams along the way. Yeah, can do, can't it? I think the other thing about that, though, is you've, you mentioned the quality of the performance. What, what, one of the things that struck me as well from it when I did watch the highlights back, and as I say, I was listening to the second half on the radio, was that Wolves didn't go quietly into that good night after they went 1-0. For me, no. the, the best part of that is that Wolves were at Old Trafford. They went 1-0 down, and they absolutely threw everything they had at it. Now, we can have a bit of a chat, as ever, with Wolves about the quality or cutting edge in the final third, but the point was they didn't go, oh, well, there's no point now. We've gone 1-0 down. Those players couldn't have given any more. Yeah, um, you know, for, for me, it, it, the, those energy levels, like last season, first half of the season, they flagged after 60, 70 minutes. And you go 1-0 down at Old Trafford with 18 minutes left to go in normal time. And, you know, we had a manager whose immediate reaction was to bring on two strikers. And, you know, it wasn't a case of, you know, sticking it in the mixer or anything like that. They still played the same patterns, the same yeah. tactics. The fact that, you know, we, we had multiple chances in that last 15 minutes to get something in the game. And, you know, from a mentality point of view, that's massive um, for a team like Wolves. That, you know, we've had such a broken pre-season for them to have that motivation and the mindset and have that belief in themselves to not, you know, to continue to believe they could get something out of that game. And they very nearly did on a number of occasions. And, you know, the result doesn't quite do that performance justice. It doesn't do the performance justice, but I will bring it back to the cutting edge question. It, it is it is always going to be the concern. The one thing I would say that is different for Wolves in this one and in general for the season is the fitness of Pedro Neto. Um, mm. he, he looks as ever like he will. If he if Wolves can keep him fit, he will be Wolves' most important attacker. Is that fair? Yeah, I think 
he has had such a rotten spell of injuries for the last two years, effectively. Um, and it's really halted his development from someone who was very close to breaking onto the stage at, at one point. And, you know, a couple of nasty injuries that I, I, he just didn't quite recover from. I think it's felt like he's had he had a bit of a run in his team at the end of last season, and he's had a full theme preseason as well. And you know he looks jet healed again. He looks like he's got that pace again. Um, and you just need to hope that he can combine it with a level of composure in front of goal, which is which is obviously the next step. But between him, Kuna, and Teres Nunes, you know we have got some really exciting players in that sort of. Middle, middle to front third of the pitch, who can carry that ball 30, 40 yards at the pitch. And, you know, before we were, I, I guess to a degree, you were reliant on a Dharma Traore to do that. And it was quite one dimensional in that fashion. Whereas watching it on Monday, you almost saw that there are multiple other players who can have a similar ball carrying um, influence within the game as well. And, you know, not, not even just being able to carry the ball, but you know, those extra wide players like Sarabia, who's not the fastest, you know, in terms of his additional movement to help create the space and to drive to drive further in as well was really impressive to me. The the work ethic that of them is, is going to be important coming into this one at the weekend. We know Brighton are a good side uh, and shouldn't be taken lightly. It does feel as though they need to, if I say they need to get something that sounds stupidly dramatic to the second game of the season. My point is more to back up the old, the good performance at Old Trafford. It would feel good if they could back it up with with finding some pathway to get three points in this one. Is there anything you want to see him do differently? Anyone you want to see him start that he didn't start? Maybe learn from the subs? Or do you think, you know, O'Neill's got a sense of what he wants from these players and he's going to crack on? I feel with O'Neill and what he's kind of talked about in in his I was going to say very limited amount of press conferences because he's been in the job a week, is that, you know, he was asked about what style of play and things like that. And I think he's, he seems to be a, quite a situational football manager and he's not necessarily going to commit to us playing like that every week, um, particularly in games where we might have to be a bit more proactive as opposed to reactive. I'd be interested to see if he looks to start more of a centre-forward up front in Fabio Silva or Sasa Kladnic, who both came on and, and, and looked lively. Um, but at the same time, you, you you look at that starting eleven and how they played and how they how cohesive they were as a unit. I wouldn't be disappointed if I saw that team start again, but the fact that the forward players who came on, Wang included, looked bright as well. Um, I feel like... I've almost got enough faith off one game, which is, um, you know, almost feels a bit um, positively toxic. I've almost got not enough faith that if he decides to bring in Frank for Sarabia or he decides to start Saskadnic, you trust the manager that he's got an idea of what he wants to implement in this team. I think playing against Brighton is going to be a very interesting opposition because of how they like to try and catch teams on the break and how almost similar to how Wolves were against Man United in terms of that counter-press, so to speak, and drawing in opponents, which is sort of what we did against Man United. So it's going to be interesting to sort of see how our style of play is adapted to that type of opposition, um, especially as they're, you know, down Moses uh, Casado now. Um, last thing then is, you know, ultimately the season as a whole, Rich, we haven't had time to chat properly. Obviously, there's been the disruption with the managerial change, but as you're is your general view that what happens at the start of last season 
is Wolves' blip, that if this group of players is broadly kept together, maybe added to with one or two, you expect to see Wolverhampton Wanderers be a mid-table side? Yeah, I think, to be honest, Monday night showed it, and I think it's easy to get lost in, you know, hard to find the wood through the trees sometimes with it, but that, that the team who starts and those players are still of a good technical quality. You know, I, I, I was more than confident this time last week that this is a side who have got enough quality to finish 14th, 15th in the Premier League. What it arguably might not have is enough quality to then push you to be 10th, 8th and 9th. That, that's the real sticking point. I think what drives a lot of frustration, you know, there was lots of talk about how many players have left in the summer. In reality, and probably from a club's perspective off the pitch, the only one who was a first-choice starter was Ruben Neves, who they replaced in January with uh, Jao Gomez. Uh, beyond that, there weren't huge starters. There, there were influences in the team like Jao Martinho, but actually there weren't players who were improving that first team, unfortunately. If the likes of, you know, Mateus Nunes gets to move, let's say, or, you know, even eight Nori to a degree, then it's a different question that the club needs to be answering. But it, it's sometimes hard to see that when you're not getting that continual growth of investment in new players coming in, which is the sticking point because it is still a young team and it it, it doesn't have a maybe one, potentially two more players. If we, let's say, start bright and energetic the first half of the season, I can feel it dipping in the second half without a couple of older heads in there. Okay. Uh, Wolves Fancast has been going for many a year. If you check out WolvesFancast.com, you see all the stuff that they've been doing uh, for going back years, but also looking ahead to Wolves this season as well. It's a pleasure to have Rich. We'll be hearing from him here over the course of the campaign, uh, but we will now get back into the room. As discussed, it's a great day of football, thanks to Rich. Um, you know, let's do the half-five before the evening game. Um, I'm going to start off with Tezza first about United. It's about getting the job done, obviously, first game, especially when you're against a side that you would expect. Werewolves finish, I think it'll be somewhere between 9th and 15th, but it's still a game that United need to win at home. Something a bit more convincing would have helped. I think riding, riding your luck is a skill. It's rather than a big criticism at times. I think sides who manage to ride the luck, you know, I think it is, it gets you through the difficult times when it, when it breaks for you and you see it through, you don't, you don't let the opposition in towards the end. But I think last season, the midfield balance improved massively, uh, sort of six, seven games in for United. I think that it looks like from the outside that something like that might have to happen again this season, which I'm a little bit surprised by. I felt there'd be more, more sort of consistency. Yeah, I think Ten Hag, I think he's going to have to revert and go against what he actually wants to do. And it's kind of, it's almost a little bit his fault because I think the beginning of last season, we went into the game against Brighton, I remember it. Ericsson played false nine, Rashford played from the left, uh, Sancho on the right, and then we had um, Fred, McTominay and Bruno in the midfield in in some kind of configuration. And then after that, after that and the 4-0 loss against Liverpool, he played McTominay um, alongside Ericsson and then had Bruno ahead of them. And I think from the rest of the season, it was, we're going to play a 4-3-3, but it's a 4-2-3-1 with one sitting and then another one that kind of like drops into different phases, which is Ericsson. And I think what we've tried to do is replace Ericsson with Mount. So we are actually more on the front foot. We're going to press higher with both Mount and Bruno blocking the opposition coming into our half and kind of like intruding that space. But what what's that what that has meant is Casemiro's in an ocean on his own. 
and especially against the against Real Madrid and against Arsenal in the preseason games, we had this funny thing where one of the centre halves, mainly Martinez, would push into midfield to sit alongside Casemiro, and the two fullbacks would stay with Varane. So that was your three and your two, and in theory that looks okay and that makes sense. But then Luke Shaw is probably the most dynamic out of that back line in terms of running with the ball, running without the ball, playing the ball into the final third. So you're now making him someone who sits back and then you're asking Martinez to now play on the swivel. And we know Casemiro, again, since he's come to United, he's been good, but he's just had too much freedom, especially against Wolves. I think he was, I was getting annoyed and I was wondering why no one else was picking up because you pick up the ball and you hit it 60, 70 yards and you go and follow his pass. And I was thinking, surely that that that's not the manager who's telling him that you can't have that position of freedom where you're the deepest midfielder, but then you're making third man runs into the box. And then that's why Cunha just kept dropping in that space because he just knew every time Casemiro, Casemiro hits a forward, he's going to follow his pass. So I don't know I don't know what the manager's going to do because Bruno's the captain, Bruno's going to play. Casemiro is the mainstay as well. So does it mean Mason Mount, you've spent 55 million on him? Does that mean, well, sorry, you're going to have to only play against certain opposition because Eriksson's going to stay behind the ball or if you play McTominay, he's going to stay behind the ball. So I don't really know what the, the solution is because it looks like you spent 55 million on the wrong player. So in terms of your business this this summer so far, what do you make of it? I... I so I saw a lot of United fans saying, oh, we've addressed our issues, etc. I think we've only addressed one issue, which is the goalkeeper. And I think I'm very happy with Onana as the goalkeeper. I think Hoyland, you know, he's a good young player, but 72 million, well, 64 rising to 72 with all the add-ons to be the main striker to, you know, United scored 58 goals in the league last season. Arsenal scored 88 and came second. So for United to be in and around second, third, we need to make up a, 20 to 25 goal swing with goal difference if you can see less with a with a more functional goalkeeper which means then your signings don't really address those issues I don't see between Hoyland and uh, Mason Mount them getting 15 goals each-ish and Onana saving more than five goals as well so I would probably give it a five I think I think that 55 million could have been spent in different ways. I like Mason Matt as an individual. I don't think he suits United. It's funny because we were having those conversations where we went like when you went in for and we were like, we were a bit gutted because we wanted him at Liverpool but I remember saying to you and you, you were all the other way around but both of us agree in any way that like, we're like I'm not sure I'm sure what fits in or why they need it. Yeah, yeah. It, it felt like almost like... A vanity a, signing. Not quite vanity, but like he's a good player and he's available and mm. this is a unique opportunity to get him. So we'll get him and we'll, we'll worry about that later. And they're not the first football club to do that and they won't be the last. Sure. But... The, the, the thing I think in, in people's defence, John, and I think that it's interesting, you know, there might come a point in a couple of weeks where we're having a similar conversation maybe around Arsenal in a way. I think you can sometimes only see the proper proof of their stuff when you've you live in the reality of playing league, Champions League, league, EFL game, league, Champions League, league. At which point it becomes, well, he is picking between 
he's picking three from five. If you sort of see what I mean, whereas at the minute it feels like he wants to get them on the pitch. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. when it becomes a little bit of, right, it's three from five, and the reason why is because, you know, and it's three from five, and the thing is the two that don't start are getting on in the midweek game on 60. Mm. And then they're then starting the weekend game. Um, one comes back, like the idea that, for instance, it's how I can see Amrabat making sense for United, in that it's Amrabat or Casemiro. And then it's depending on the opposition, we might go with Mount and Fernandez and maybe use Fernandez a bit deeper, which they did at the end of the season, possibly. But if not, there's Ericsson. And Ericsson then comes in and he's doing a little bit pieces. And then it might be Mount or Fernandez every now and again. I know Fernandez gets a lot of games. And then every now and again, it might be old Fernandez now go, sorry, Mount goes and plays off the left or right for this one. But but then managers get greedy because he's like, these are all good lads. How do yeah. I get them on the pitch against Wolves' first yeah. game? But <laughs> it is a really good point because gone are the days that we are, um, you could play uh, a Premier League game and then a Champions League game and you could rest some players in the Premier League game because you could kind of get through against, you know, a Wolves or a Bournemouth. But we're in a situation now where the quality has risen to such such an extent that if you were to rest that Champions League team or UEFA Cup team... You you'll come unstuck, so you do need well, that, mm. those, those like for like, almost a like for like replacement. If, if you look at Arsenal and United last season, especially Arsenal, but I think United do a bit of it as well. There was a lot of like Arsenal made wholesale changes in the Europa League side and kept playing the boys. You know, I think Fabio Vieira is an ever present in the Europa League, and an Odegaard only turns up come the, comes off the bench in the in the second leg of the knockout mm. game. I don't think he even features before then. So it's like that much of an extent of right that we're just writing that midweek one off, and we're going to use these lads for that. And then the, the then the boys come back in, mm. but you haven't got that luxury because both Arsenal and United are going to be second seeds in a Champions League group. There's some very dodgy looking third seeds. Mm. Someone might get lucky and get the Portuguese champions uh, in pot one, but even that was a good Benfica team last season. Mm. You know when you begin to go. Through through. I think there's, I don't think any English side will want the embarrassment of not getting out the group. So you, you then, and that. So I think that we'll only see how they're going to use some of these players when it's sort of bedded down yeah. into this. And I think that that's me letting them off the hook a little bit. But what I would say is, I'm, I'm staggered by the centre forward thing. That's my big one. I'm like, if there was ever surely, I'm not, I think it's hard to name the name, and that's why I've got a bit of sympathy. But I'm just really surprised. There's there's, there's a there's a there's a pure product project playing number nine. I'm, yeah. I'm really surprised. It's a it looks to be like he's, such a he's a progress. really good player. Don't get me wrong. I've seen a lot of him. Watch a lot of Italian football. He's always impressed me. But definitely, you know, he's in the making. Do you know what I mean? He's felt like Real Madrid should have bought should have bought him when Benzema had one more season. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, he, he almost needs to play behind someone and learn from them for not be be the main man straight yeah. away. So but we could be proved wrong. So I think I think the plan was for Rashford to start because obviously he's got a, a back injury, so he's not sure. really going to play for the first three weeks. So I think the plan was to actually start with Rashford as, as the nine, and we kind of let Hoyland kind of come in um, as and when and when the Champions League starts, you play play then. And I think one of the biggest kind of spanners in the work for Ten Hag is the injury to Kobe Mayno. Because United started the preseason and Kobe Mayno was playing every game. And we had, I think against Real Madrid, we actually had Mount playing on the right, Bruno 10. Um, I think someone off of the left and Rashford up front with Mayno alongside Casemiro. Who's Mayno then? He's a, he's a, he's 18 years of age. So he came through, he didn't play as much last season. He's he literally, it was the um, the under-21s like player of the, of the year. He won that trophy. He's uh, people liking him to Pogba. I think it's a bit lazy in the comparison. I think he's a bit more of uh, he he uses the ball safely, 
a lot more than Pogba. Pogba was a lot more, you know, risk of flamboyant. Yeah, flamboyant. He's someone who's going to dribble from deep and stuff. Maino's got a really nice pass. He's really measured. Someone who's really calculated for someone so young. And um, he plays as an eight, but for United, because we, we don't have as many players deep, he's actually playing alongside Casemiro. And even in some games, he's playing at right back, inverting. So we had an extra body in midfield. And I think that injury, and he's going to be out till probably January or so, has now meant, okay, Mount, yeah, Bruno, yeah, Casemiro, we're going to do that. And we're just going to kind of press other teams to death. And I think the manager kind of forgot that, you know, all those three, Casemiro, Mount and Bruno, their first thought is like, can I get it forward? Can I get it forward? And we don't have someone who, like Ericsson did, who will just slow things down a little bit and take the time. And and I think that's probably why Amrabat is the player that United are looking at. And we need someone, especially in games like Wolves, where they just want to make it into a transitional kind of game to be like, well, no, we've got someone who sits there. Because realistically, there's there's a chance that we just turn Casemiro into an eight and he'll just do defensive work, but from a higher position. Mm. And we have someone behind him. And I think that make, that makes... A lot more sense, and I think the good thing about Amrabat as well is not just a, um, a, an interceptor; he's a playmaker as well. Yeah. In the sense that he gets things ticking over, he keeps things ticking over. You know, he's he's not you know the skillfulest player mm. in the world, but he's very effective at, at, at what he does, and it could be a good move if that goes through. Yeah, and last thing on the on the centre forward thing, I think realistically, so I think what's happened at United over the past few years has gone against Ten Hag in a sense of that United, this is the first time since I think Martial, United have signed a striker who's under the age of like 21. And that's ridiculous. That was 15, 16 Van Gaal. Since then we've had Farcal, Cavani, Veghorst, Slatan, <laughs> Cristiano. I'd say 21, generous. He could have got yeah, 28. Yeah, I, know, I, know. <laughs> I wanted to make it sound a little bit younger. But like, it's showing like future planning ahead of whoever's going to be in charge that we're signing someone because especially with the striker market now like players are getting you know they score 15 goals and then you know Osimhen United were interested in Osimhen and we were told 150 million so it was like okay let's get a striker who's not proven as much but pay half the money and then you know we can build them up that's what we did in previous years Tottenham then Paul uh, before we get into the specifics of this game Kane gone um it just looks to me like it could just potentially be a clean break. I think, listen, I think Tottenham could really do with winning at the weekend as part of that, without sort of overstating it. I just think, you know, the manager could do with a bit of a statement win because if in three weeks' time he's not had another win, if you see what I mean, it'll just it'll just relax everyone to an extent. It, it was a bit of a cure attack of a first game, really. They looked after the ball well, but they were shepherded all over the place. I felt like Son ended up a bit isolated. Brentford's a tough place to go. Um, so the 2-2 is not the end of anything. But there are positives, so watch your... Do you feel as though it now feels like a bit of a clean break? Are you are you bouncing into the season? How bouncy? How bouncy say, are you? Yeah, I would say I'm bouncy. I don't go that far. I think that's nobody bouncy it. fella. No, no I'm not. <laughs> Generally, I'm quite calm. Um, so leaping? Cane, are you leaping? <laughs> <laughs> on the on the cane thing, I think um, he goes with my blessing. Uh, he stayed at least two years longer than what he could have. At least two years. Um, and you know deserves everything. Uh, I wish him all the success. He didn't do a Sol Campbell and go to a rival yet, so that's another another plus point. So I don't think Spurs, you know, you'll get the odd minority. Oh, you know, you know, but for me, I think the majority of us are happy um, that he's, you know, he's not happy that he's gone, but accepting of it. 
Um, I think it's a bit lazy again to say, oh, well, we scored 30 goals. That means Spurs are going to get relegated. That's some of the stuff I heard, mm. which was like, unbelievable. Like, you know, you can't split those goals up and play in a different way to, to supplement the goals that you've lost. Uh, which I think Ange Postacoglu, Post- if you look at Celtic, although they had a top scorer in, what's my man's name? J- not Jota, is it? Who's, is um, it for, for you, no. Yeah, there's Jota, Jota who's gone to, to... No, the one that was top scorer for Celtic, but the goals were spread around. Right. You know, it wasn't kind of this guy scores or, or you know, if this, the way Tottenham were, if Kane didn't score, it's almost like who's going to come in and do the rest. So I kind of like that we're not going to have that reliance on one player anymore because that's quite a lot of pressure. Even watching a game, you're thinking to yourself, well, if Kane doesn't do something, then, then what, you know, where are we going to score from? So it's nice to have a little bit more of a, a variety in, in the attack. Although I would say of, of all the players at the weekend, probably the front three were my probably most disappointing in the sense of Kula Vesky for all of a sudden has lost his pace. He was absolutely lightning when I saw him in Italy and lightning when he first started at Spurs. And all of a sudden, he's not going past his fullback, which is a bit worrying. I think Son and uh, Son will get better. I think that, you know, it's a, it's, I'm not going to go over the top on Son yet. And I'm also not going to go over the top on Richarlison, actually, because I don't think you can judge him on one game. I think he's going to play centrally now and we've got to give him a little bit of time before, before we go in on him. In terms of the rest of the um, the acquisitions, I think that I'm very happy with Madison for obvious reasons. I think it's a bargain for that fee, and we all know about his quality. But I really like Destiny Adoji at left back. I, I watched yep. him a lot for Udinese. He's a quality player. He, we actually bought him last year. Um, so he's almost like a bonus because it's just not happening for poor Sessignon. He's another one that's just cursed by mm. injuries. He just doesn't seem to be... Able to come through. Really happy with the um, Van der Ven signing as well, just because he reminds me of Jan Vertonghen with pace. Honestly, you watch him, he, he's got an amazing recovery, but Vertonghen had done it because he was positionally very clever. But this guy's got electric pace. I think Liverpool were linked to him at, yep. at some point. Mm-hmm. And I think Solomon's a shrewd signing. Um, nothing to lose on that. It's a free transfer. Might have to pay four or five million in compensation, but whenever I see seen him, he looks good. And then obviously we brought Vélez, um, the guy from Argentina, and Ash Phillips, and I think they're both for the future. The keeper was a weird one. I'm not overly confident in Vicario. Saw him a lot in Italy, and he's a really good shot stopper. But he's quite inexperienced in the Prem, because he is inexperienced in the Prem. I'm a bit worried that, not worried, but miffed as to, we went for David Raya, we were quoted 40 million, so we didn't get the deal done. And now Arsenal signed him for a three million loan it's a weird fee deal, with a 27 mm. option, not even an obligation, option mm. to buy. So is that a Levy thing again where people don't want to deal with Levy but they'll do with everyone else? I keep mentioning in the show, but you know, deals like that make it a bit weird. What do we need? I'd love Benjamin Sesko in a dream world, but we'll probably get someone like Gift Oban. You know, you were talking about another player that's, you know, 24, 25 years old. He's younger than that. I think he's like 21, 22. Okay. And this guy's not really played a lot of football, but he's been prolific. And, you know, most judges are saying this could be a player. If you spend 24, 25 million on him, he could be worth 80 million. Mm. If you don't get him now, he could be worth 80 million next year. Um, So I think we'll get one more forward type player. I think we need a senior centre-back to supplement Romero, Van de Ven, and, you know, you're probably going to have to keep Davison Sanchez because he's the fastest of... What about Eric Dyer? He's 
finished, not got the... I think the problem with Dyer is, one, he's damaged part of that damaged goods team that I talk about that just have had too many hits and need a fresh challenge. Yeah. He's not necessarily a bad player, just needs a new challenge. You know, Tanganga is not going to make the grade. Um, ben Davis is over the hill. So you've got really the three centre-backs that you've got now and we need to add another one to that to, 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 to make um, a funny thing that I noticed the other day is I looked at the team from the Champions League final. When Lloris goes, Song will be the only player left. Wow. Which is four years. Not yeah, a long time. Yeah. But the ironic thing is, Pochettino said at the time, I need to break up this team after that Champions League final. And he got sacked a few months later. <laughs> Before we'll sack you instead. So now, <laughs> four years later, we've finally got rid of the, that, what I call, those team, that team has just lost too many games, lost too many finals. Yeah. We just needed a reset. So I am happy about that. Um, high possession stats on Saturday, uh, aggressive, didn't crumble under pressure. Basuma was absolutely quality, yeah. which, which I liked. Uh, negatives conceded two again, albeit a penalty from a violent challenge by Son, which was obviously worse than Anana's uh, tap on the head <laughs> to the Wolves. You thought you got away with that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Anana's obviously got WWE in his locker somewhere as well. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. But if I if you had to push me and say where are Spurs going to finish this season, what do you think will happen? Off the top of my head, I'd say top seven and a. a, a Decent cup run in one of the cups, and I know you might say, "Boy, that sounds a little bit um, no." I think I think pessimistic. That's, no, I think that's. I think if you just could enjoy that, my big thing on him. I, I did a little thing for it's our first when, season. We, when we do there in their shoes thing. I, I got Tottenham as one, and one of the things I said was, "I just mark him on how many goals he score." Mm. I just have it be as simple as, "Can he get ninety goals all comps?" Can he get 90 goals all comps? And then yeah. off the back end of that go, and if okay, at the end of that we finish seventh. But we but to get 90 goals, you probably got to have a cup run in there as well, all comps, if you see what I mean. So we've got a cup run and then weigh it up. But also I just think that you, it's a football club where people need to start looking forward to watching them play because last year was almost beyond a joke. Last was, I know, but, <laughs> no, but I think last year was like the crowning achievement yeah. of the... It was like the warm up. Worse. Yeah. <laughs> World Cup of Pornis. Yes, yeah. the resistance. Yeah. You know, on that... There are how many goals are going to score? I think it sounds silly, but I think making Son captain is going to be really, really bad because I watched Tottenham in the preseason and I watched them against um, Brentford. And what Postacoglu likes to do, he did it at Celtic as well. He likes his wingers to be really, really wide. And he's probably so. got the two kind of archetype wide players you want to come inside and your fullbacks and your like eights come in the middle. And I think. Son struggled because he didn't have that kind of freedom to like make runs in into the middle. And I think that there's been talk of maybe using Son as the centre forward, but I think he, he could have kind of like a Mane kind of trans, transformation where he goes wide, similar kind of build, good on both feet and good in tight areas. But I think sooner than later, Solomon will probably fit, or Perisic will suit how uh, the manager wants to work. Probably not as consistent. Um, over time to kind of rely on those. So I think it might be a thing of maybe Tottenham even go for a wide player and say, Son, you're, you and Richarlison are, your, are the central options and we kind of have someone who can play on both wings and kind of go on the outside. I'll just say a play now the weekend. Draw. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about before and it could be anything, so we'll go for the draw. Okay. It's the Friday show on the Anfield Wrap, the Premier League preview show of your dreams. Uh, Spurs, Manchester United dealt with. Let's get over. Manchester City versus Newcastle just after this. 
Man City versus Newcastle, then arguably the game of the weekend. Uh, John, I feel it being nearly could help Newcastle. Um, I'm basing that on absolutely nothing. City were interesting against Burnley, but still Burnley. But City have had to have the midweek game in the Super Cup as well. Um, the one thing I would say is a lot of chances against Newcastle and chances to create chances. But um, I think if if you're Newcastle, there's possibly not a kind of time to play this Manchester City team away. No, I think that's fair. I think it's funny because I was out Friday night, so I didn't see the um, didn't see the game. And just sort of saw the, the scores coming through, and then thought, oh, "I've seen this game before." <laughs> exactly. um, yeah, but but Burnley actually have a, have a bit of a flurry at one 0 don't they? They just don't necessarily have the quality to, to to sort of make the flurry count. And Newcastle, I thought, were excellent on Saturday. It's it's it is probably the performance of the of the opening weekend, and so I think for Newcastle, the key thing is belief. And I think you know I mentioned a couple of times when they came to Anfield last year, they they, they battered us, went one 0 up. Having battered us, and then, and then just sort of weren't quite sure how to handle it from then on in, and we ended up winning that game. But I wouldn't. <laughs> I think it'd be very generous to say like we 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 wrestled back control. They just they just sort of conceded it, and I think, you know, I think the the, the almost the next stage in in the evolution, the very very fast evolution of this Newcastle team is okay. Like w- what you do when you when you. You know, if they go up in this game, which they might well do, because they've got a lot of good players and and they're, and they're playing well at the moment. If they go one nil up, what what you sort of move then? You know, how much do you back yourself to go? Well, hang on, we're on top here, so let's sort of keep going, which is what the real elite teams do. Or you know, even if you sort of say, right, we're going to have what we hold. You know, what does that sort of look like? And and is that the the best tactic against against a Manchester City team who are, are quite fine with 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 bodies behind the ball because they, they, they back themselves to, to work it and, and find the angles and, and, and find a way uh, especially with that fellow up front and so I think I'm, I'm going to watch it with real interest you know in, in terms of the game and listen Manchester City is, is still a really good side uh, the, the 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 Bruyne injuries are a real blow for them. I, I think you know in terms of just you know how long he's out and how early into the season you know it, it comes you know it probably needs a bit of a you know the idea of, of using players maybe a little bit earlier than, than what they'd like to in, in the season, sort of other attacking players. But I think there's a good chance Newcastle have a good go at go at them, and there's a good game. But there's having the confidence to have a go. But then you know suddenly you know it's like asking a gorgeous girl. So she goes, "Yeah, all right, then." And then you shit yourself. You're like, ah, <laughs> "Fucking hell, I wasn't expecting it to say that." Now we actually need to go. And then you go with the dates, and you just dead awkward. <laughs> I feel like that was like Newcastle that might have a little bit of that in this. I felt I felt that that Remember metaphor. Remember, she's got out with you. I, I felt that that metaphor was too real. Yeah, too, yeah. Hundred percent happened to me. Hundred percent got pissed. That's the girl out. She said, "Yeah." I was like, "Fuck it out." Yeah. <laughs> it was worse than you had to ring the the, the house phone and the dad. <laughs> um, there is there is an amongst it. Um, Tessa, I, as I say, I thought Newcastle obviously getting the groove. They've got bench options, but it is worth saying. You know, the race charts on seventy five minutes for that game against Villa was 1.8 to Newcastle 1.45 to Villa but Tenali and Gamares look bright and I think that that's your big sort of takeaway is that they look bright and I think that you know I'm intrigued by what we see uh, with the Manchester City lineup. By the way, I absolutely think, and it's this is in part. I'm, I'm asking about three things at once here, Tessa, so I apologise. But I think this is in part <laughs> because people don't talk that much about Manchester City, which I know does Manchester City's head in on a corporate level yeah. and some supporters. Because like what goes on at Anfield and what goes on at Old Trafford and what goes on at the Emirates and what goes we on at White. Get... No, I'm about to say <laughs> what goes yeah, on at what goes on at Tottenham. You've got a lot of What I think is interesting is City have come off the back of winning that treble. They've just won the Super Cup. 
and he's effectively all but bombed Diaz out. And no one's talking about the fact that Diaz doesn't get a kick anymore mm. in, in games that matter. Like, I don't think Diaz starts this weekend. But, like, it's not a thing. But two seasons ago, he was best than Virgil van Dijk. Yeah, and now yeah. the lad who's best than Virgil van Dijk doesn't get picked for Man City and no one's ever sort of stuck their hands up in a press conference and gone, how come you don't play Diaz? But anyway, that's almost an aside. Yeah, well, it's an observation. Laporte, well, Laporte did the same thing. Yeah, but, I mean, it wouldn't surprise you either. Well, Laporte now, maybe not. But if, if like, Diaz now plays 30 games consecutively <laughs> in his MOM yeah. and loads. But, anyway, my point is more, there's, you know, there's, there's things in it for Newcastle, I think, because the City lineup won't will be incredible, but won't be perfect. If you see what I mean? Yeah, I think. Well, starting with the Diaz thing, he he kind of came in from November last season and kind of was in and out, but main mainstay from January to the end of the season. I think with Diaz, I think he's a bit susceptible to a small injury here and there. So I think what Guardiola does, which probably other managers don't do, is he actually takes his best players out sometimes and thinks even though this is a tough game we can do it without you and Stones didn't play either and I was thinking Stones and Diaz were your, your, your mainstay for the last 15 games and they don't, they don't start against um, Burnley and then again in, in this game so is it a thing of they've got a schedule where it's like two games you're going to miss these two but these two you're going to play these two you're going to play and, and swap it out or it's just a case of you know, Pep likes to experiment, and and one thing that I've noticed with the the lineup um, recently is he's actually kind of gone a lot more pragmatic, and he's playing Rodri with someone alongside him, and he's he started with Alvarez in the first game. Now it was Foden in the tent. It's almost like a four four two ish kind of. They they remind me of when Man United were winning season in season out, and then United started playing what I would call winning football, where people just expect United to win and you don't really watch them. And then they go, oh, United, they were great. And you, as a fan, you're like, we're not the same anymore. And I don't know where the City are going through that because Mars has just gone, Gundogan's just gone. And it's it's almost a case of, everyone always says, which we know, City don't have a huge squad. They have depth, quality depth, mm. and they have good youngsters, but they don't have... You it's know, not two players in every position. Yeah, it's not two players in every position. It's... I've got this one player and you can play him for yeah. Foden or Alvarez or whoever, KDB or whatever. And that kind of like confuses everything. But with KDB now injured and um, the likes of, well, Cole, Cole Palmer just slots in and he kind of plays um, regularly. I think we'll see whether City will do more business. I know they've been linked with Paqueta and, and Doku as well, which I think are... They're weird signings to me if they. I think Doku feels like you sold Sane. You you didn't want this sort of thing, <laughs> but then he just gets to change his mind. I mean, manager gets to change yeah, the yeah, mind. Yeah, of course. But, uh, uh, and and the Paqueta one, I don't know if they go through with the kind of fee that West Ham want because I feel like if you go and pay that for Paqueta, he's still third, fourth choice, and it it doesn't really make sense Do to me. Do you think that might because De Bruyne's injured? That might accelerate the need for Paqueta to almost like supplement for, for that loss potentially but then I'd say you've got Phil Foden and you just play him a lot more and you go and buy someone who can play and challenge Grealish then and you have Grealish Palmer and someone else and you Foden's that one with Alvarez who plays off Haaland and you kind of you kind of ride that wave to January till KDB's back well we talked about Klopp changing the way that almost like changing a bit from this is the way we play and that's it don't you think that Obviously, Guardiola does started off with that inverted right back business, which everybody's doing now. Emerson Royal was doing it, believe yeah. it or not, for Spurs and scored. Yeah, it's a belter, which, which was amazing. But um, don't you think that he's gone so much more 
physical and bigger in the makeup of the team. When I look back at City, I see David Silva and all these little small, clever players. And now it seems to be he loves a, a big lot more six foot two. He loves a big roots. Do you know what I mean? Like physical, who can play as well? So is that a changing face of Pep? Seeing how the Premier League's changing and thinking. I, I, on that one, I think one of the maddest things on the, on the, of the summer is that he he doesn't go five million more for Rice. That they don't go five million more for Rice. Like I'm, I still think it's like it does still doesn't make any sense as to why they felt 105 million was was untenable, whereas 100 million was absolutely fine. Mm. It's, it's maybe a, they just thought maybe, it was going to go on forever. Or yeah, maybe, maybe the deal yeah. was already done in terms of Rice's. Yeah, like I'm already yeah. going to Arsenal. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah possibly, possibly. I, I think um, on that. I think it's the way the Premier League has gone. I think when he first joined, he was he probably took his ideas from being a Bayern Munich thinking, I can implement these. The Premier League's got a lot more physical as the years have gone on and tactical at the same time. And that point that I made about winning football, I think he knows at certain times, if, you, if I put my most physical players who are technically good, even if my tactics don't work, like 1v1 duels, just the small margins, they're going to win it. In, in most positions. Because so. you don't hear Pep being levelled as a ticky-tacker anymore, do you? Not it's necessarily, not... no. Because when you look at the, the team, like the people were saying, you know, four centre-backs and Rodri, who's six foot two, Haaland, who's six foot three, whatever, box-to-box midfielder and Gundogan. I mean, Sam Allardyce and Tony Pulis were also doing that back in the day and they were labelled as dinosaurs and, and then Pep does it. Obviously, it's completely different, but... The profile of the stature of play is not just too dissimilar. Yeah. Everything comes around. Uh, John, my last little thing on it is it just would feel significant for everyone if Newcastle got something. City only dropped points in two home games last season. The idea they drop points in the first one, I think, would make you go, well, yeah. okay, you know, it's it's difficult, therefore, to to, to go the, the following 18 and do the business. They're more than capable of it, but I think it is an interesting one. It is, yeah, and there's only so many teams you can take something off Manchester City if it feels like, doesn't it? Like, listen, there'll always be one. Shocking it at a season and a team who, you know, maybe the we beat them every year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of the teams. <laughs> they can't even score against. So there's only so many teams. Tottenham <laughs> and, and three or four others who can sort of take points to them. And, and like I say, like there's, I mean, they, they had the match struggle against Southampton for a while, didn't they? As well, where like, you know, it might happen. Or, or just listen, we've all watched f- football games where you have 20 shots and, and draw one all because you you can't quite. You know, make it happen, but all the keepers are having a exactly, game, yeah. exactly. You know that that you know, but but sort of flukes and, and mad mad ones aside, you know, there is there is only so many teams who can who can cope with what they throw at them, and also throw a little bit the other weight. And and, and Newcastle, you know, have become one of them. And so, you know, if 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 City swat them aside, it'll feel a little bit deflating for the whole league. If Newcastle can get something there, then you know you 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 raise an eyebrows. If you're a team who who feel like, you know, a title challenge is a possibility. And, and I think for, for everyone else aside from Man City, it's almost too early to say. Isn't, don't you think that this game's more about Newcastle than it is Man City? We know what we're going to get from City. It, if Newcastle go there and stand up and, you know, compete and do well, it almost gives everyone else a little bit of hope. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Because, you know, I look at Newcastle's team on paper and they're still... I still see names like Almiron and Joe Linton and Dan Burt and people back from the day. And it's almost like this team's still basic, got the basis of that old team, mm. you know, and it's still the same players. Show me you're confident now. Show me you can go to these places and and really believe that you can win. I think, Not just go there and have a little tentative. I think that ring, the girl, of, uh, Paul, ring the girl, Paul. Ring the girl. 
Newcastle having <laughs> Dambin, Almiron um, and those types of players kind of probably helps them in a way because other teams obviously will respect Newcastle a little bit more but will look at them and think mm, they're not really name brand players and then play Newcastle and then realise, wow, we're in, a, we're in for Jacob a fight. Jacob Murphy, yeah. you know. <laughs> but they, 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 they keep going. Uh, physically interesting, Newcastle physically very imposing. Uh, Aston Villa versus Everton um, is the Sunday 2 o'clock game. Uh, John Everton play well against Fulham, but this is a step up. You know, Villa, we expect them to be a top top nine team this season. I think there's nine and then there's there's, there's other sides. Brentford may make a fool of me because Brentford love making a fool of everybody. It's, it's, their, it's their MO. Yeah. Uh, and as said, though, Villa did all right against Newcastle. You can sometimes get carried away with what a scoreline looks like. They shouldn't be panicking. And if anything, I think that's almost got to be Villa's aim for this one, is that they've got to sort of act like, yeah, that sort of thing it happens. We're fine. Uh, the worry would be if Everton do find a way to get themselves a goal ahead. Yeah, we've, we've talked quite a bit tonight about mood, haven't we, and about the mood around football clubs and, and how important it is. Newcastle, we just talked about before, managed to ride that mood perfectly last year and were really sort of a good example of it there's a few other clubs going in that you know a little bit unsure we talked about Sheffield United being on the floor and how that affects you Villa it'll be interesting for me to see how much last week affects them because it's not just the 5-1 you know like you say Neil you can you can go somewhere you can get pasted everything goes wrong but the opening day it's not nice and the, I think that the Tyler Mings thing is is just as big I think as as the as the scoreline just feels like feels like such hard lines, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, he's, he's he's so popular within the club. He's 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 a leader. He's someone who you know is has gone through sort of the bad times and 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 sort of into the to, into the good. And it just felt like for Villa, they they went into the season with so much optimism, and then it was just like big pin just bursted. Did the same thing happen with a centre back? They bought a centre. Yeah, back. Diego Carlos the season Dante's before ACL, against yeah. Everton. I think it was as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. The season, same yeah thing. it can't. So when, I think Wendy as well. Yeah. yeah so I think it's the it's just, it's it's it'll be a big week for the manager, I think, um, and all the coaches staff there in terms of lifting them into this game. And I think you know for the fans, it's got a big part to play as well because they'll be feeling a bit low. But as sometimes as supporters, you've got to do your bit to to sort of raise the team really. I'll tell you one thing, that Diaby, is it Diaby? Yeah, yeah. He yeah. looks like a Liverpool player in the making for me. <laughs> He's like Sadio, Sadio Mane's yeah. kind of like, I can we'll, see him being we'll a Mane. We'll keep an eye on him. Watch, watch him brief. He'll cost too much by the time he gets to do uh, That's the problem. That, no, that, no, that, no, now he's a playing for Villa. There is... Uh, on Everton, Tezza, the, 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 they have really hard lines against Fulham. I mean, it's mad uh, just watching the highlights back and looking at the numbers. They have really, really hard lines. The thing is that this is a step up. I think that was a Fulham side that was having a bit of a stuttering first day and Everton just don't take advantage of it in the end. It, I think they'd feel... I think I think Everton could just do with a point. I think the idea of looking at the league table before the next two, they've got Wolves and Sheffield United. I'm not quite sure in what order. I think it might be Wolves next at home. They don't want to. They, they they just need to look at something that's not. We we've not won either. We we got beat twice basically. Yeah, and it's difficult being an Everton fan because you know every game you're just going to go in and slog it out. There's not really going to be any kind of game in the season where you think, oh, this is the game where we're going to change how we play a little bit. It'd be nice if they could get an hour out of Calvert Lewin, but then I think I'm going to spend most of the season saying that the Blues could do with getting an hour out of Calvert Lewin. Yeah, and even okay, it's probably to do with fitness and kind of you know the manager wanting certain things from certain players but it would be nice to see if you know Dan Juma can start at the same time as another forward and 
you can play Onana and Decore. Something, something, something to get the fans kind of behind what Dice is doing. Not saying they're not already, but it can quickly turn into this is too negative and sour. And I'm a fan of Sean Dice, and I think he'll do well relative to the circumstances. But I mean, I was saying earlier on, he needs to stop playing Michael Keane. I think he just. My, I think Michael Keane plays because he knows Michael Keane and he trusts him, but I think there comes a time and a point where you where you need to start playing. They like Branthwaite, and he does well in pre-season. The manager even talks him up before his first press conference. They like Branthwaite. I, I've seen lots of managers do that. They, they big up the youngster, and then it comes to the crunch time, and then they go, that. yeah, we're going to throw in the, the experienced guy. And, and I think at this point, what have you got to lose? You've, you've, you're playing Keane the same side as Ashley Young. It's like a combined age of 67. So, like... You can take Keane out and you'll still have Ashley Young at left back to kind of go like coast him through the game. I think it would be it'll be a tough game and and and, and again, Neil Morpe, I mean, me following Brighton and XG under Potter and stuff, I think he gets paid to miss on on the goal line or one v ones and sitters because the amount of You could do a great 1v1s. compilation of sitters. Oh my you? gosh. I, and and that's the thing, that's that's the backup they have. They signed the the young the youngster from um, the nineteen year olds. Yeah, yeah, the nineteen year old again. That's not really the kind of quality that you need to put in when Calvert Lewin's not playing. Stop so. when we when the goal is tough. It's not fair to just throw in like an eighteen year old kid who hasn't played the or, minute. Or Premier Dobbins, you're the one, and it's just like I know they haven't got much money, but if you haven't got much money, then you need to be a bit more creative. Go with Dan Juma, even if he's not fit. Get try and get an hour out of him and play the core off him and see if you can actually try and win the game rather than keep it nil-nil for 60 minutes. I think watching Everton this year is going to be the equivalent of being a Tranmere fan. Like Ali, who works with us, is a Tranmere fan, and he said they won 3-0 the other night, and he said it's like the first time in about five years that he's actually been able to... He's felt the back of the seat. Because <laughs> 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 it's just been tense. Because like, they Tell won 3-0, you know, yeah. which I thought was, was great. And yeah. that's what's going to be like being an Everton fan this season, I think. I think it's going to be a lot of, like, literally every game stress, isn't it? Mm. Um until they get some points on the board. Last one, uh, West Ham versus Chelsea. I mean, presumably Caicedo goes straight in. The one they got Sage on, and that, the part of why, you know, the idea that Saturday's games after Liverpool have played are so enticing. The flip side of it is, I'm not desperate to run out the house for Villa versus Everton or uh, West Ham versus Chelsea, uh, but it is the Women's World Cup final in the morning, uh, so that'll be at least something to get people going. Uh, I have a feeling West Ham versus Chelsea could be a dog of a game. Because I, I think Caicedo may go straight in, but they really looked an attack alight at times against Liverpool. And if West Ham are just happy as Larry to say, you know what, you just can have it, um, and we'll just look to hit you. I can see it just being a long afternoon in, in the Olympic Stadium, and I can see them having a lot of Jared Bowen in the lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, West Ham probably trying to maybe approach it as, as a bit of the away side, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing for them. I think they've had joy of that at home, sort of. You know, against these teams playing a little bit away, I think I think Bowen will enjoy it. Antonio will be up for it. You know, I'm sure start starts the first game, and I think you know West Ham did all right last week. Then they uh, was sort of you know I had my eye on it to see how, how how they do after you know the summer and rice going and stuff like that. And I think they probably deserve to beat Bournemouth. They don't quite get the result, but you know that happens sometimes. But I thought I thought they shaded it from from what I saw, and um, I think. For for this one, I think you know it is. It's it just you mentioned about Chelsea. It's well, I, I was at Stamford Bridge watching our, our game against them, and you know they had they had a lot of you know joy in sort of wide areas in terms of ball in wide areas. But but 
I felt the, the car were very edgy about it, but I think the players were quite relaxed about it, really. It's a bit like, you know, you watch your team and you're just putting the balls into the box and the lads are just heading it away all day and they're like, don't worry about this, is easy. I felt like we were that team for once. You know, normally that's like, you know, for all us, we're, we're watching sort of big teams, really. You, know, you see like a team come and they're just like, just end stuff. You're like so frustrated watching it because you're like, do something different. I felt a little bit like that with, with, with Chelsea. You know, they were switching it really nicely from right wing back to left and, you know, they were getting in space and as I say people around me were getting a bit aggy but I was like well, if you look at what actually they're doing with it and, and how we are maybe deliberately defending narrow a little bit because we because we just think well we just need to defend the box and watch Jackson I thought he was a bit mad to be honest with you um, you know he's 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 probably not expected to be starting at the moment but I thought his movement was good but aside from that I, I, he doesn't look to me like he's he's about to get 20 goals in a season um, he's a good player Jackson yeah I, I think he's a quality player I think with just on on that point with Chelsea I think Pochettino's in two minds of building a team that is able to compete and run and you know win duels at the expense of playing Madueke Mudrik etc especially with Nkunku out so he's probably going to set up in a way that means we're going to lose more until he gets some of those players up to speed, up to scratch. So I think at times it will look a bit like Chelsea are an attacker light. I think Jackson's really good at holding the ball, keeping it, and kind of bringing everyone else into play. Um, we might see... Well, it was a bit weird because now they signed Casado and Lavia maybe soon. It said Gallagher might be on his way out, which I'm, I'm a bit confused at because I thought now that you signed them, you can now use Gallagher. <laughs> yeah, free him up and kind of allow you to get more goals from midfield. They're, they're like, yeah, we've got a better defensive midfielder. <laughs> yeah, now it's a bit like, well, yeah, we're gonna like balance the books again by selling Gallagher. So I don't, I don't, I don't really know how how that's gonna work. I think on 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 that basis, I think Chelsea will probably be a tougher team to play against in most games. And West Ham, when I looked at West Ham's lineup, I was actually like, oh, it's just a bit of same again. Like the. They haven't really. I know Rice is not in the team, but when you looked at it, it was like this is a good team. Like yeah. there's been a lot of talk of you know Moyes falling out with the director of football and stuff. But if you add Edson Alvarez and War Prowse to the team, you might say the team's better off with more strength and depth. Mm. Um, if Alvarez can replace Susak, because I don't really know what Susak does. He just stands in both boxes for 90 minutes and doesn't do anything else in Mental played well last week for the first time in a while yeah. uh, and he's, he afterwards he did an interview and he said he felt like he's had a summer off and he's recharged a little bit so I'm quite intrigued like I didn't see didn't yeah. see it so I'm quite intrigued by that say so again Bowen will be dangerous I thought Sterling was very good against Liverpool very yeah, good excellent. indeed um, thought uh, Fernandez was excellent against Liverpool very good. Uh, I'm almost talking the game up much more than I intend to here because I do think it'll be it'll be a bit of a slog Um but I think the the James injury is bad news for Chelsea. I, I actually think that despite all the signings that they've made, they will tick better with James and Chilwell. Chilwell just because of Chilwell more to do with his experience and being elevated. In fact, James is now captain, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. But those wide positions, I don't know. If, if, if you probably tell me better than this, Tez, is there a, a natural replacement for either of those fullbacks? For right back, Gusto. Gusto played really well in the preseason as well. And obviously, United. Came on a sub at the weekend, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. United were after him and, um, for Leon, and he's only 21. Um, 
So, and then left back, the only person I could think of was Hall, who's in uh, negotiations with. Well, there's Cucurella. Oh, there's still got Cucurella. Oh, Cucurella, yeah. Yeah, which is a much forgotten My mad thing for Chelsea last weekend was I genuinely believe this sentence is true that Chelsea's likeliest goal scorer was Ben Chilwell. Yeah, and that's Alonso two point and that's a little bit of a problem. Uh, in that, whilst that works, great, yeah. but when you're week seven into that, you've got a little bit of a problem, and I think that that, that could be where the end. Up. I, I look back on Pochettino's time with Tottenham, and we, they didn't really start to blossom until sort of like you know well into the sort of October, uh, late October, November is when we started to see the fruits of the labour. So I think you have to be patient with yeah, Chelsea in that respect. But the way they've gone about their business, I mean, I think I did, remember when I was Chelsea when we were doing the thing and I was buying all these players and these up going, oh, you're buying too much players. (laughs) They won't do that again. (laughs) But, you know, in in admission, I was going for a higher cap. I was going for the Guardiola. I was going for top. But what they've done is basically looked at, remember when you used to play Championship Manager or FIFA and you looked at someone's overall and it would be like, right, he's 16 now and his his overall was like, you know, 61 but his overall, in a few years, potential is going to be between 90 and 96. And it's almost like they've looked at every player with that profile in the world and thought, we'll take a punt. If we buy 20 of them and, and 11 of them work out, that'll be good. And then the rest are on four-year contracts, still got four years left of their contract and we'll get a fee for them, which is a very, very risky business considering that we have all seen players. I remember seeing Gal Kakuta. Remember him? Mm. He used to play for Chelsea. I thought this guy's going to be one of the best players in the world. Where is he now? And and as good players, you know, they might be good between you know eighteen and twenty one. But are they going to reach that that full potential? So it's a high risk strategy. But they couldn't have a better manager in Pochettino to to realise those potential. There we are. Uh, being a belter. Thank you very much to Rich Hobbs and Billy Grant, uh, John Gibbons, uh, Tessa McCulloch and Paul Dehaney all the way through doing the business for us. Uh, Monday nights are not our business. They never will be uh, on the Friday show. Uh, whatever goes on between Crystal Palace and Arsenal, I just don't think it should count with reference to the league table. See you later. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.